1: Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and joining me on the show right now is civil rights activist and first lady of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and the King Center, Andrea King. Thank you so much for being here this morning. How are you?
0: I'm doing very good. How are you today?
1: Look, you know, we're all, every day is a blessing at this point in the pandemic, um, and so I cannot complain at all. Um, I could complain, I suppose, about uh, voting rights, Um and you, especially, um, you're married to Martin Luther King III, um, and you know voting rights has been well, racial justice and and the fight for equality. Um, I'm sure has been a part of your life and journey uh, the whole time. But can we just start by talking about this moment in history because there's so many parallels, in my opinion, to um, the 1960s um, in the way that the fight um for ballot access it feels like before 1965 in some ways given the impact of some of these new laws that are popping up
0: that's unfortunately that's that's so true um you know it's interesting because last year we you know everyone was on the ground and you know mobilizing and getting people out and you know we the you know the message was vote and vote and we have to vote unlike we have never done before, and actually people listened, and they did, and it worked. And since January of this year, we have seen all across America over 400 pieces of legislation that have been um, proposed and in in far too many cases have actually um, been made into law that actually, it's there a direct backlash to all of to everything that we saw last year. So, I mean, everything from early um, the diminishing of the days for early voting, um, less drop boxes, um, then you know, um, you know, then smaller are, um, precincts being closed, which creates longer lines, and here in Georgia. There's is now a criminal. Um, it is it's against the law to hand out water in those very lines that those laws created, because obviously, or all too often, they're in black and brown communities. And then, then if all else fails here in Georgia, there's um, election oversight committees that would have the power to actually overturn elections. So you know we are we are at a critical critical juncture here in our country. And this is really, um, we are really in a fight for democracy.
1: It feels so much like we are in a fight for democracy. And I'm so glad that you phrased it that way, because a lot of times we default to, you know, it's a Republican fight versus Democrats. Um, and I don't think that this fight for voting rights is partisan. It's not about Republicans or Democrats. It's about Democracy, bottom line for me. And I think, um, you know, many of the provisions, as you mentioned, that have been passed are a direct response to the fact that black, brown, indigenous API and young people, um, they showed up, they showed up um, in states where uh, for forever, like in Georgia, for example, it was a red state. It was a bright red state. Nuke Ingridge is congressman from Georgia, former congressman from Georgia, former um, speaker. Uh, so just to give you an idea, like Georgia's not um, purple, but now it's blue. It just like went from red to blue <laughs> um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Do you feel like. In this moment, you know, we're sort of we're, we're always talking around the issue. Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin are the two senators at this point who are standing in between uh, where we are uh, and where we need to be <laughs> in terms of um, the John Lewis Voting Rights um, Advancement Act and the For the People Act. What What is your message to those moderate um, senators um, and not even necessarily moderate Democrats, but just those senators who are standing in the way? Because it feels to me like. It's a fight for the democracy, which is bigger than a fight for any political party.
0: Well, I hope that they hear um, and see all of the thousands of people that are coming out this weekend um, in D.C., but also all across the nation. We're hosting a, a March On for Voting Rights. So it, it's um, our organization, the Drum Major Institute, along with March On and NAN and SCIU and Future Coalition. Right now, we're up to over 50 activations all across the nation, all on one day, August 28th, which is the anniversary of the I Have a Dream speech, the March on Washington. The reason that we chose that day is that we know and we believe that we need to look at the state of the dream in America, my my husband and our family and I, and that we also know that the King legacy does not belong just to this family we are all heirs to this we are all architects of the beloved community that martin luther king jr and coretta scott king talked about so i hope that those two senators but all on capitol hill really see um the power of the people but in order for them to 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 see that we have to come out this weekend um we see this weekend as the beginning we don't see it as okay you know this just this is the end goal and We're going to go home and, you know, and and life as usual. It really is the beginning of a campaign until we pass the For the People Act and the John Lewis um, Voting Advancement Act. And, you know, we were, Martin, myself, and Reverend Sharpton were on Capitol Hill, um, I guess it's been about three weeks ago. And we met with members of the House of Representatives as as well as um, senators, and Senator Manchin was one of them. So I think it's important to um, continue to have dialogue, but it is extraordinarily important to have direct action. Um, And sometimes I think that we underestimate the power that we have. Um, And I know, you know, I I know that people are tired. It's, It's been a long, it's been a long couple of years. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, you know, I think back. You know, I worked for an organization for many years that monitored hate crimes and hate groups. And one of the founders of that organization was Reverend C.T. Vivian, who died on the same day that John Lewis did. And so I, I have the, the advantage of being mentored. And, and I, I have lived and breathed with people who actually have touched history. When it looked like all was lost, they kept going. And because of them, our nation was changed for the better. And one of the things that I've learned, and I know through movement, is that we in the movement know that when it's dark, that's when we look for the stars. We don't give up.
1: It's so true, and Reverend CT Vivian, I had the privilege of meeting him um, at the 50th anniversary um, of Bloody Sunday in Selma, um, during the Jubilee weekend, and he's wonderful. He's, he's he's wonderful. Extraordinary, he was he was one. um and we <laughs> yeah. just just i have a i have a, you know the the funniest story that i won't even share because it's not even really necessary but just even in our brief interaction just a wonderful person um not to mention um an an he's american icon yes just the and, embodiment you know,
0: you, of of nonviolence. But and I think yes, sometimes yes, people yes. underestimate, they 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 think that nonviolence is is weakness or it's passivity when it's the exact opposite. You know, nonviolence is when you see things that are that are unjust and incorrect and you stand for that as what is just and right and peaceful. And it's it's an extraordinary strength and courage to do so. Um and CT, he he certainly was the embodiment of that. You know and he's always as you know had a twinkle in his eyes yes he was just extraordinary extraordinary human also i want to mention that in dc we also and that's why we are marching in dc we are having all of these um, flagship sister marches as well um in atlanta houston phoenix um miami and and um, along with washington but we know that the, um, we have to send a clear message um, to those on Capitol Hill. And we also, is very important to us, particularly in the Washington um, DC March, to really um, push the issue of statehood. And you oh, have yeah. almost 700,000 residents, mainly black and brown, who really are, they have no representation um and when you can't you can't talk about voting rights and voting rights for all and not talk about you know dc statehood and how critical um that is and and so that is also one of the things that we're pushing for this weekend and as you started your show with you know we certainly are you know we are you know we're using we're you know we're in conversation we're in dialogue we're in direct action and also we are if we also are pushing if you know, if all else fails for the eradication of the filibuster.
1: I mean, DC statehood is such an important racial justice issue. And I'm I'm so I mean, it's it's such a long time. It took such a long time for it to become an issue that people, you know, are talking about on a regular basis, that Mm -hmm. it's going to be a prominent, um, you know, issue folks are pushing for this weekend. And Mm -hmm. it's obvious when you really think about it, why it hasn't happened um, because of the demographics of Washington, D.C. And um, I feel like, yeah, so, so much of this is actually a response to um, the fact that America is changing. And, And one of the things that I've thought a lot about, because I wrote a book, The End of White Politics, where I, you know, looked at the Pew data and was like, okay, so if America... Is on the trajectory to be a nation where white voters are a minority mm-hmm. what is that gonna mean for our congress our president our you know who we vote for, who votes for whom who wins those elections um and who facilitates those wins? that's all gonna change um basically what's gonna happen is you know the congress will look more like the squad it will just like it be a big squad um than then the congress uh makeup of the past can you talk a little bit about how you see the demographic shifts the fact that you know a state like georgia is having huge demographic shifts um there are more more asian voters more latinx voters obviously black voters are more mobilized and engaged than ever Um, The same is true of Texas and Arizona. Um, And of course, these are the states where the first thing they did after the 2020 election is pass voter restrictions um, because of these demographic shifts that they see coming. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, the legacy of, you know, the the 1960s civil rights movement that is, you know, brings us all the way up to the present is the fact that, You know, the fight was was really for everyone to be able to participate and have that equal access and, you know, have a voice that mattered um, in the country. I mean, isn't that the whole a multiracial democracy? That's what we're going for here, right?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um, Martin Luther King um, defined it as the beloved community and the beloved community is not a place of utopia. What it is a place of is that everyone is respected and honored regardless of race, gender, um, sexual identity, you know, that we they, that we see the richness of diversity. Um, one of the things that I am most proud of with the coalition that we are put together for this weekend is that we have over 162 national um, partners with us. And if you, Go online to marchonforvotingrights.org. You will see the very best of America. You will see diversity in every every way, every sector of, of what we're talking about, um, as as it relates to race, religion, ethnicity, as it relates to gender, as it relates to um, age, as it relates to you know, um, gay, lesbian, transgender, um, AI, you know, Q plus no Q plus IA. Um, it really is all, all voices coming together on this critical issue. And also, the second part of your question is, yes, it is certainly about the changing demographics, absolutely. And, and also, whenever in, in, whenever there is um, in movements, traditionally, of freedom and justice and equity, whenever there are gains, there are inevitable um, attempts at setbacks. You know that's that's part of the expansion, and that in some ways is unfortunately to be expected. So in some ways, this isn't a surprise, but it really calls us to to really work harder than ever before and use this as an opportunity. Even when you really think about um, a, a year before he was assassinated, you know Martin's father talked about that the first phase of the struggle was for civil rights. And he foresaw the second phase being for um, genuine equality. So, and that is exactly, you know, where we are now. That's what the protests were, you know, from the street to the C-suite last year. They, mm-hmm. It was about the, the acknowledgement and the cry for genuine equality within every fabric of our society. Um, and that all really starts Um, And it begins with access to the ballot box. And in this case, we have to be clear, we're not even talking about mobilizing for people to go out and vote, although we will do that as well. What we're talking about is standing for, you know, federal voting rights protections. Like all of these laws were put in place as a response to what we saw last year. And so now it's time for everyone to really, you know, stand up for what it is that we believe in to stand for laws that really lift us all up and not for laws that limit us. And we also have to be clear because it sounds like you're a student of history mm-hmm. um, as am I, is that when you look, whether you're talking about during the reconstruction era, if you're talking about how we got to Jim Crow, that it wasn't one law that issued right. all restrictions. It was always a series of laws that were passed systematically, you know, little by little by little that enroached and, um, on, on the rights that, um, particularly black and brown people had, had gained. So we need to, um, to really be watching and working at what's going on. And we need to also learn from our history so that it is not repeated.
1: Oh, I'm definitely a student of history and specifically, um, reconstruction. (laughs) Um, it's one of the most interesting, Uh, Parts of American history as it relates to what's going on now
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
1: And I think that I am constantly referring back to periods um, And things that happened during reconstruction and when reconstruction was ended Um, And I think that last summer I thought about that so much because you know, we we sort of call it the racial reckoning um, But in a lot of ways Um, it was it's a little bit like redemption, um, in 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 some ways because it's post obama Uh, it's post, uh, the 2018 midterms where more um, Women of color were elected Um, you had the squad you had demographic shifts. So in a lot of ways there are similar Elements present um There's racialized violence and hate crimes um, racist rhetoric, by a political I mean, there's a lot of similarities. Um, can you talk about the impact of the racial reckoning and the aftermath of, of the murder of George Floyd? Because I feel like that was one of those things that we're in the middle of a global pandemic that no one saw coming. Like, maybe the epidemiologists and the experts did, but most of us were like, the week before the pandemic, I was like, at a movie premiere with a, thousands of people. Like, you know, and people were coming around with trays of food. I think at th- that point I was sort of like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to eat off the tray of food with my hands. But um, I think it was Thank at you. least that point. But like in the beginning of March, we were all just living our lives. And then the pandemic hit. And then we were in here for a lot longer than we thought we would be. Um, we're still in in some instances uh, locking down to a certain extent. Um, and then George Floyd was murdered on camera and everyone in the country had a reaction to it, uh, one way or the other. Can we just speak about the what that moment um, meant, um, sort of in this larger context of history that we've been discussing this morning, and and what it can mean for you know the fight for voting rights, the fight for racial justice and police um, reform, or dare I say, changes in how we fund um, police departments? Maybe allocating more funding over here to the social services, for example. Um, but I feel like last summer's racial reckoning was an unexpected moment where we really, I think, history was changed.
0: Absolutely, I, I think there is no question about that. And I think the the farther we get away from that, and as as students, you know, study and re- and look at history, is it that moment. Is actually going to be almost a C curve moment of our of of when a lot of um, racial reckoning was a, was brought to the forefront, so that it can be dealt with and healed once and for all. I think for most of us, I know for me personally, my patience left my body when I watched George Floyd take his last mm-hmm. breath. Um, I think that so many of us we didn't even realize that we were operating, you know, under a system of patience or even holding our breaths our, ourselves. And that that moment was a true awakening in so many ways. And not only here in America, I mean, it was the demonstrations that we saw last year were the largest civil rights um, demonstrations um, in, in history. I believe they happen on, if not every continent, just about every continent. And I also believe that once you start pulling back the layers of injustice, you can't stop seeing it. Mm. And that is what we began last year in a lot of ways, and that's what's continuing this year. And... Being a student of history, as you and I know, one of the things that gives me total comfort is that I I know within every fiber of my being, there is not an ounce of doubt that this is going to be the time that we are really going to make America what she ought to be. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that the people that are out working, that have been working, that are continuing to work, the young activists, you know, I have a, we have a 13-year-old that's um, a firecracker and you know on fire for changing this world for the better. I have no doubt that we are we are ultimately really going to to realize the dream. I don't know how long it will take. I'm not saying that it won't that it will be an easy road, but I I firmly believe. That we we in fact that justice we we will finally have um, a, a greater um, reckoning in this country.
1: I mean we we definitely need need one. I mean I think. But one of the things that I think about we only have one more minute, so unfortunately we're out of time. Which I don't know how the show is going so fast. Sometimes I'm like shocked by the speed with which two hours can go by. Um, but just to put it sort of. Um, pin in the conversation. I feel like or button on the conversation, I think is the expression um, But I but I feel like the reckoning is necessary It's a it's a necessary reckoning America couldn't go on um, The way it was because basically the way we were living was like the status quo being you know People are some people are not treated as human Because mm-hmm. of what they look like which is just that's dumb Um, Mm -hmm. that's always been stupid, even when I was a little kid and I was like, I don't understand why we treat people so differently just because that's a boy and that's a girl or, um, you know, whatever color a person is, you, you give them more respect or less respect. I mean, that has, we can't go into the rest of this 21st century, um, with that being the case. I think that America is ready to evolve past that. And our reckoning, um, I think was part of the through line that goes right back to the civil rights movement, which was what we started talk started this conversation talking about. And I think that we're sort of bringing the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and um, C.T. Vivian, Reverend C.T. Vivian forward um, to the next generation. And so Absolutely. that's, that's an amazing been, thing. Yes, it has. The
0: torch has been passed. And and I the way that I see it is that C.T. Vivian, um, Dr. King, Coretta Scott King, the, you know the 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 torch of peace, justice, the fire of peace, justice, and equity has has to be flamed in every generation. That fire Absolutely. has to be um, has to be fanned, and they that torch has been passed, and now it's up to each of us to fan those fires of peace, justice, and equity.
1: And please start doing that um, if you are interested and invested and engaged. I mean, you should be because voting rights—that's just everybody should care about that. But Saturday, August twenty eighth. Um, In Washington, D.C. and other cities, um, you can go to um, MarchForVotingRights.org to get the information and even find out if you can set up a march in your own town. um, If you don't live near one of the major uh, marches taking place, Andrea, Andrea, did I do it right? i'm sorry you did yes i did okay (laughs) i was really you know how you say it and you put your nervous in the middle um yeah (laughs) thank you so much for for um being here this morning um first lady of the southern christian leadership conference and king center um and your your legacy um is amazing and it's, it's so amazing to talk to you this morning um about an important issue in this moment in history so the march is going to be happening i hope everybody will participate our democracy matters Um, it depends on our engagement uh thank you so much for being here thanks for listening to the signal boost podcast we'll be back tomorrow with more news